What is up, everybody? The Transition 3 Basketball Podcast once again. I'm Nick Thielen. With me, as always, Jonathan Kaufman and Keaton McEntee. We're going to start things off today talking about the insanity that is the NBA 2017 offseason so far. Right, let's just jump right into it. Philly-Boston trade. What do you guys make of this? Kind of stopped me in my tracks right away on Friday. Couldn't believe it, although it's like kind of right up Boston's alley. It's sort of like a sick person's joke to think that Boston would do this once they get in a position to be in the number oh, one pick. Boston oh, fans were upset. What, yeah. Danny Ainge, what Danny Ainge traded his assets for more assets instead of a real player? Like, are we surprised? No, He's always doubling down on his assets. I find the, the fascinating quote to be, we can get the player at three that we thought we could get at number one. Or so we think we can get the player at three that we would have had at one. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know who that guy is. Cause Josh Jackson's got off the floor issues. He's got a shaky jump shot. I think Josh Jackson's an overrated prospect, personally. But I mean. Same here. But. Who does. That's up to them to decide, I suppose. Well, then who do they have at one that they think they're gonna get at three? Is it Tatum? I think, yeah, that's probably who they're trying to bait people into thinking about. Although, I've just seen, like, not long before coming over here, that they're thinking about trading back again, and we've heard about the Kings trade. <laughs> but, yeah, like, maybe getting a couple more picks and going after a guy like Dennis Smith Jr., so they're way out there. Right if now. they do that, I, I honestly, like, Danny Ainge, I think he's kind of at a point where he's like, okay, LeBron's here, he's... You know, he's running the East, and Danny is like, Celtics will be all right, we'll be good, our fans love us, we've got, you know, great things going on. Oh. But he's just playing 2K in real life. Right? I think, yeah. He's doing this to make his job more interesting. I think <laughs> that's literally all it is. I do think one interesting facet of this is that because of the lack of playoff games, the cap projection is actually um, dropped down over the past week. It was projected at 108 originally, then that number changed sort of halfway through the season, and then with each... Uh, less playoff game that was played is, you know, the Warriors swept everybody and it seemed to be a lot, a lot of short series. The NBA players lost quite a bit of money. Now the latest cap projections are somewhere between, you know, just under 101 and 99 and a half. And moving back from one to three actually saves them one and a half million dollars heading into free agency where they're trying to clear max cap space and they're already going to have to relinquish the rights to Olympic, to Zeller, to Jarebko. Uh, Amir Johnson is going to expire. They're not, obviously not going to re-sign him. So, if you're Danny Ainge, you're moving from one to three. Getting the you, same guy. You have seen, apparently, what's going to be the same guy that you might have taken at one, as you will take at three. And you've also picked up another future asset that perhaps you can combine to trade. Because I think what's been lost in all of this talk about the process and the hinky truthers, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, is that... You know, for every Kyrie, there's an Anthony Bennett. And no matter how, how sure of a thing you think a top three pick might be, um, this is still quite random. And you could draft Dewan Wagner, and he has a heart problem. Or you can draft Len Bias, and, you know, we all know the terrible things that happened to him. And anything can happen with the draft. You don't know what these guys it's are going to do. Yeah. Darko Milicic went second overall in a draft with LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and Carmelo Anthony. And at the time, no one was saying, oh my god, how did the Detroit pick this guy? Yeah. How so, do we think this affects Philly? Do we think 
Fultz, I mean, it's Fultz is going there, obviously. How does he fit in with their team? Like, people are saying it's going to be a great thing, good basketball. What do you guys think? Really really great trio if everybody's healthy. Like, if Joel Embiid specifically is the one. I mean, Ben Simmons seems like that was sort of a freak thing last year. He should come back and be on, uh, you know, good legs again. But if Joel Embiid can come back and even just play a full year at sort of the, the minute threshold he was last year, then... I think yeah, you have a really. I mean, they're already a fun competitive team, but I mean, how how many wins does Fultz give about that? I'm I don't remember where they finished at last year. Obviously, not too great if they're this high up in the draft, but um, I don't know. You're probably in the 30s, I would think, like something like that. I mean, I that's not even a crazy prediction, 20, but 28 to 35 wins. I mean, Max, yeah. young guys, young guys don't win in the NBA. Old guys win. Young guy, young guys never win. And what you're going to have with Philly, uh, as Brett Brown has preached the Ben Simmons as point guard project, and now they're getting Fultz, I look at Simmons as obviously a combo ball handling forward, and you look at Fultz as sort of a combo guard, plays off, plays on the ball, right? So basically your two primary ball handlers with, you know, sprinkling some TJ McConnell possessions with the bench, the three people handling the ball are all going to be in their first or second year of playing professional It's not basketball. going to go well. <laughs> at least initially. They're going to be bad. There's going to be a yeah. lot of mistakes, a lot of turnovers, but I think they're underrated. And people talk about Embiid, Simmons, Fultz. I mean, that's a great that's lead a cast. Board. But yeah. Sarge, Covington, I love Rashawn Holmes. I don't know if you, if you were if I were Boston and I'd gotten Rashawn Holmes in the deal as well, then I'm ecstatic. Like, that dude's a rebounder, three-point shooter, puts it on the deck, pick and pop, pick and roll. Like, Rashawn Holmes can play. Like, I love Rashawn Holmes. I don't, I'm not even worried about how many minutes Embiid is going to get because for me, if I'm the Sixers, I'm looking at my front court as Holmes, Sarge, Simmons, Covington. We can go small with Simmons at center, small with Sarge at center, Covington's a stretch four, and then you sprinkle in the Hall of Fame talent and bead when he's available. You have enough front court depth. Because the third overall pick, I didn't even I didn't even talk about him. You've got enough in the front court. Wrap up put some put in bead on dry ice. Play him every other game in the season and play him thirty minutes a game and wait till you get to the playoffs. Yeah. This dude looks like Elijah on with a three point shot. If like, they definitely have, like you said, a good core group, but then their supporting cast, I agree, it's definitely underrated. Maybe in a few years they'll be challenging for the Eastern Conference. But right now, it's Cavs. the Cavs. They've got Cavs. But, and, but, and they've got some rumors swirling. What the hell is going on with Griff? I mean, I, that came out of nowhere. Yeah, well, maybe not quite out of nowhere because it hadn't been a known thing. It had just been sort of simmering on the back burner. No one really wanted to focus on it. But for a couple of weeks now... You've been hearing about reports of, you know, David Griffin. He's still not under contract past, like, you know, the end of June. That's, you know, the draft's coming up. And we know we're starting to hear these rumors of LeBron in L.A. And for him, as great as he's been on one of the smaller GM contracts in the league, to take him to the finals, his three years, it's unbelievable to me. I mean, to me, this is the biggest storyline out of everything that's happened in the last few days. Just for its, like, bigger picture sort of ramifications that it might have on the Cavaliers and LeBron James specifically. Look at the way Gilbert behaved when LeBron left. Look at Gilbert's track record. It shouldn't surprise anyone. And it's not just his basketball operations. 
Okay, but he acted childishly when LeBron left. It's his business operations too. You hear about the way he manages people. I mean, he essentially screws people over for a living. He runs prime rate, he sells prime rate mortgages for a living, quicken loans. I mean, he makes a living off screwing people over. He's owned the, he's owned the franchise for 12 and a half years. No executive at any level has signed an extension with Dan Gilbert as the owner. This is what he does. He's in your face, he's involved, and he doesn't find you valuable as management. So, this is par for the course. LeBron's support of Gilbert post-firing makes me sweat, and I believe that LeBron's departure from Cleveland is imminent. I think perhaps Griff sensed that. I There's more to come. The real story will come out about what happened between Griff and Gilbert. I imagine Griff saw the future and said, "Hey, look, man, we need to trade love. We need to trade love for assets. Could we get ahead? And could we trade LeBron? You know, my thing. You can't. I mean, you could be crucified as a GM for doing that, but I think Griff is a super intelligent guy. I think he saw the writing on the wall, and now we've got rumors about Kyrie demanding a trade if he becomes certain that LeBron will leave and." Everything is in flux in Cleveland. I think one thing that all this has done to Cleveland, it's affected players wanting to go there. You have players like Jimmy Butler coming out and saying, I'm not coming to Cleveland. People are going to joke me like, oh, well, who would go to Cleveland? But I think it's this stuff. You just said LeBron might leave. It's imminent. Like, LeBron could go to L.A. with Paul George. Good ownership. Yeah. Bad ownership. It's still what dictates competitiveness in the NBA as much as you want to talk about player power and GMs and everything else when you have a good owner who is willing to spend into the tax and who allows management to do their job as is in Houston as is in Golden State as exists in San Antonio as exists you know in Miami you have great organizations that attract talent consistently and so much of the NBA is about ownership. The Lakers and, are one of those organizations that attract players, though. So, Jonathan, I'm going to ask you, yes or no, is Paul George going to Los Angeles to play with LeBron James in 2018? Uh, personally, I think that's where this is all heading towards. I mean, and just to put a bow on it, I just wanted to throw in on the Cavs stuff. Like, the only thing that makes any sense to me is that Maybe Dan Gilbert saw, like, he already has an indication that LeBron wants to go to L.A. in 2018. And he's kind of being a cheapskate, not wanting to go ahead and, like, really put a good foot forward for this last year. And he's like, I'm not paying David Griffin. Gets out of it. And he's, to me, it's like, you know all these things about your uh, your sort of position with LeBron if you're going to take David Griffin out of it. So they're kind of taking themselves out of the race. And I see LeBron heading there in 2018. I see... uh if PG-13 is going to be traded somewhere, I feel like L.A. is going to be the one team that's really willing to put in the assets that are going to be necessary. What King can come back on this if you want to, but uh, I don't know. I just don't see it, man. I don't see I don't see Boston really getting into that fight right now. I don't think the Cavs are going to be able to do enough to swing it, really. Well, now that, now that they've traded D'Angelo to Brooklyn and got in return Brooke Lopez in the 28th pick, what are you willing to deal if you're the Lakers? What are you willing to deal for Paul George right now? What what will you deal? Because I'm not dealing number two, and I'm not dealing Ingram. So what is it? Well, you have a combination of players. And Jordan Clarkson, Julius Randle. You have two late first-rounders this year now. I'll be at late first-rounders. I think you still need to 
that those alone aren't going to get um, you up PG-13, but you have assets available now, and you're willing to give those up because you're they're really um, ecstatic to get PG-13 in LA. I just don't know what the... I just, for me, the, I don't know what the value is for Paul George because... Well, it's his own interest. The, the, like. the rental market would be strong, but the price would be pretty minimal. However, if you're the Lakers and you're looking at this, what are you willing to pay for the security of, hey, if we trade for him, we acquire his bird rights so we can pay him more. We can pay him the increased extensions over five years rather than four years when he goes to free agency because the risk is that Boston trades for Paul George and they show him winning and they're the second best team or maybe the best team in the East even and they go to the finals or they go to the seven games against the Cavaliers in the semifinals and now all Boston has his bird rights. They can offer him a fifth year. They can offer him that seven and a half percent bird increase in per year in the extension versus the four and a half percent of a regular contract extension over four years. And now they have that leg up on the Lakers. So if you're the Lakers, what do you pay for the security of his arrival versus potentially being able to wait for him if his ties to LA are that strong? And now the Clippers look to be making a play as well by shopping DeAndre to clear cap space. They're probably going to let JJ go. Now they've, now they gotta choose, do we re-sign Paul or Griffin? If they just re-sign Paul and they allow, allow Griffin to walk and they trade DeAndre, now they can clear max cap space. The Lakers can clear two maximum slots though by trading Clarkson and or Randall, renouncing Randall's rights and not re-signing him and cutting and stretching the wall day for the seven year stretch off the remaining three years of this deal. They can get the $64 million, which is the cap number for two max contracts. Now all of a sudden the Clippers become a threat, and you have no leg up on the Clippers, and it's still L.A., and they've got LeBron's friend in Paul George, and LeBron seems to be in play. So if you're now the Lakers, what are you willing to pay to be able to guarantee Paul George more money in L.A. than the Clippers could guarantee him? Because they'll have... They'll be in play for LeBron James being Chris Paul's friend and be in play for Paul George at the same time with two maximum slots and potentially have a decent pick if they're going to trade DeAndre and allow Blake to walk and basically just have this be Chris Paul's team by himself. So I think there are a lot of moving pieces in this drama and I just don't know what you're willing to give up if you're LA. I think if you're Magic Johnson, you've got to gamble on your own charisma and your own ability to you know, attract LeBron James and Paul George as free agents. I just don't. I just don't think you can give anything up. I don't know why. You, why you give anything up? I'm not sure. I'm saying that they should give everything up, or you know, some amount of their assets. I'm just saying that all the indications, reportedly, are that they're actually just really interested in doing that for whatever reason right now. So I don't know. That's just the state of LA right now. So well, there are plenty more rumors for you guys to check out on our Twitter. Someone remind me of the handle. What's the what's our Twitter? Twitter At transition three, the number three pod on Twitter. Go ahead and follow us. Find our moment. We broke down all the rumors. You can just just keep swiping because it never ends. It seems like. (laughs) What's up again, guys? Transition three basketball podcast. Still Nick Thielen. Still with me, Jonathan Kaufman, Keaton McEntee. We are recording this. It's about nine ten standard Eastern time. 
the night before the NBA draft. And I think it would be a good idea to talk about the NBA draft and what are teams looking for. This has been one of the most hyped drafts in recent memory. I personally think it's a bit overhyped, but that's another discussion. So what are the teams looking for? What are they drafting for? What do they look for in the players? For some teams, it's team fit. For others, you're looking best player available. Those are two completely different discussions, but if you're looking at best player available, I think personally I'm looking at, you know, in this league, I'm looking at how quick you get up and down the floor, what you're shooting like, how long are you. It doesn't even matter if you're the best defender right now, but can I teach you some defense, some good sort of uh, some lessons, some things to incorporate it into your game all the time? What do you all think? Well, I th- the NFL is by far the more covered draft process, so I think it's appropriate to sort of compare and contrast the two processes in evaluating talent. Um, when it comes to the NBA, superstars in the NBA change the trajectory of franchises and alter the fortunes of the league in a way that superstars in the NFL just do not by the virtue of there only being 15 players on a roster and five players on the floor at a time. So in the NBA, it's all about finding superstars. And so the draft is much more based on upside than it is what any team believes your immediate productivity could be. So everyone's hunting the superstar. It's it's all about potential. It's more about potential than the NFL ever would be because in the NFL, with a hard cap, you need productive players on, on rookie deals to build a good team. You need guys to produce for cheap because there are so many guys to pay and there are so many guys that have to play. Whereas in the NBA, it's all about finding a superstar. You do everything you possibly can to acquire a superstar, and the draft gives you represents the best chance to do that. So you're just drafting for upside. Who has the best upside in this entire draft? Right off the bat, uh, I, I mean, I think Markel is uh, consensus number one. Not necessarily in all cases does that make you the uh, the highest upside, but he's the guy who jumps off the page to me. It's hard to argue against it. Do you, is there anyone you would at least uh, throw a name in the pot for? I think in this draft there are three distinct groups in. In the, with, there are the, I think there are three groups at the top, and it's, um, it's very rare that you get so many players involved in this group, but I think there are two potential transcendent talents. Top five, potential top five, potential top ten players in this league, and I think it's Markel and Lonzo. Because, I mean, we could look back at Lonzo in ten years and say, wow, how did, how did he go after Markel? I mean, all anyone did in LA for a decade was, pass the ball and run up and down the floor and shoot threes and he just infected an entire team and an entire city and it was Lonzo Mania. But I could also see Fultz doing the same thing for Philly, resembling the process and how, I mean, how did Boston trade that pick? You can look back in 15 years and think to yourself, how did Boston ever trade that Hall of Fame pick away? Because I think I believe Markel could be that good. He reminds me of a little bit, you know, Someone like James Harden with that off-tempo game, a little bit, a, a little bit like Brandon Roy before the knee injuries. I think for me, he most reminds me of Gilbert Arenas, who again had that off-tempo game, but his ability to shoot and change speeds and finish at the rim. 
but he's also an at the rim player. Right. As a six five point guard with a six ten wingspan. I mean, they're in a tier of their own. But what makes this draft so unique is that really three through eight I could see in any order. And those guys could all be perennial all stars. And then at nine and ten with Natilakina and Markinen, I see guys with all star potential but are more likely than not to end up as premium role players. And it's very, very, very rare that you see 10 guys with that type of potential in an NBA draft. And that's what makes this class so special. I agree with you. I think numbers 3 to 8, those players, like you just said, they could be all interchangeable. And I wouldn't be surprised at any order. And I think that's that's what separates this draft. It is really uh, talent-heavy. Draft. What do you think, Jonathan? Have yeah. anything to add? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat. I think that uh, Lonzo's another guy that I think has really high upside. I would probably... I brought up Markel just because I feel like he's a little bit safer, and that's not exactly what we're talking about when it comes to upside. So, you know, I think Lonzo could be in that group. After that, you know, Jason Tatum, I think, is a really good example of a guy who's, you know, in some mocks he's in three, and some he's, like, as low as nine or ten. So it's a good example to show uh, kind of what you're pointing out here, Cam. It's just three through ten, especially, you know, your top ten could, you know, range all sorts of, uh, you know, different skill levels and, uh, excuse me, uh, great careers in the NBA. So are we all in agreement? Hold on, hold on. We have breaking news. Um, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, at this very moment it has been – it is – been confirmed. Phil Jackson has said that the Knicks are willing to accept a top four selection to put them in position to draft Kansas's Josh Jackson for Kristaps Porzingis. <laughs> what? <laughs> I do call after Josh. <laughs> I heard Phil Jackson talking about about. Yes, Josh that is apparently the asking price is a. Apparently, the asking price at this moment has been confirmed from Phil Jackson. The asking price for Christoph Porzingis is a top four pick. And Danny Ainge's phone just melted. Ian Bagley just tweeted out a quote from Phil saying, As much as we love this guy, we have to do what's best for the club. And that's getting Josh Jackson. (laughs) Phil Jackson, (laughs) he's trying to get himself fired. Jonathan, you were right. I don't know what he's doing. He he wants out. What is he doing? Porzingod is a Porzingod. What? I mean, if if that's the case, then... I mean, how long does it take Boston to get in on this? Like, that would be. I think if 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 New York has ruined its relationship with Kristaps and they believe that he, they will eventually just have to move him. Getting the third overall pick isn't the worst thing they could do. If you're the Boston Celtics, you do this in point oh one seconds. Yeah, that might come. If Kristaps, okay. Seeing what we've seen of Porzingis, if if in some alternate universe you put him into this draft, he goes number one overall. No doubt. There's no question. No one takes anyone else over Porzingis. You know what the list? What what is the list in NBA playoffs history of seven foot guys who could protect the rim and shoot threes? There's three of there's like four. Three, uh, four. There's like two. Like who does that besides okay. Kevin Durant? Durant? Who else? Uh seven foot tall that could protect the rim and shoot threes. I don't not young. McHale. Kevin McHale. Like, that's the only other guy I can think of who did it at that level. That is... A this guy crazy, folks. <laughs> that is a completely asinine rumor. But I guess... Is that happening? We're out of... Do we think... Out of one of ten... I think... I think that's... 
it just makes too much sense for Boston. I think that's like an eight out of ten chance of happening. I think that's right. going to happen. Well, I guess we. I think Jonathan. I think there's a consensus between the two of us that you have Markel number one on your big board, correct? Yes, I've got Markel at number. You've one. got Lonzo at number two, then. Yes, everybody. Same here. Yeah. Yeah, despite whatever you may think about his dad and the shooting mechanics, the shot goes yeah. in and his passing vision is so rare and his infectious attitude is so rare, I think it makes him the second best candidate. But this is where the draft gets really tricky. Here, the rest of the lottery. So Jonathan, why don't we go back and forth? Who's, who do you have as the third overall best prospect? We're, this is not, we're not about a mock draft right now. It's just most talented players. Let's go through it. Transition three, big board debate. Where are you at as far as where the lottery candidates move those top 12, 14 guys are at? Uh, right after Lonzo, I went Jason Tatum, man, just because I think he has a great wing body already. He kind of doesn't have much to grow into as far as the NBA landscape is looking for in a wing. I think he has great shooting. He can play right away. And uh, I don't know. That's sort of my take right away. I think he's someone who can immediately make an impact on a team and play pretty well minutes. Okay. Does his um, athletic upside perhaps, uh, when you look at what he could be, like what would be some comparisons for Jason Tatum for you? Because I, I have Tatum slightly lower. I have Josh Jackson rated as the third best prospect in this draft class. Um, so does for me... Tatum's athleticism limits his upside. Because I see him as a Danny Granger type. Like I, I feel like I've seen Tatum before. Smooth offensive game, mid-range, three-point range. I get it. But he's athletically limited in a way that pre-injury Danny Granger was also athletically limited. Now he wasn't, I mean, he was an all-star. He was a 24, 25-point scorer a game at his, at his best. And there's nothing wrong with being that, but why? what level do you think Tatum can get to that justifies him being selected over Jackson, Fox, Monk, Isaac, those guys? Here's a comp that would justify that, if he if he became this person. What about Harrison Barnes? That, that, is, you, that doesn't justify it. it Tatum, that doesn't justify it. Because there are people talking about Tatum as Paul Pierce, and I, I mean... Nah, he's not going to be... Because Danny Granger... That's Danny the Gra- truth. Greatest Danny, nickname ever. Danny, Danny Granger is far and away a, was and will always forever be a better player than Harrison Barnes was in the NBA. I guess I'll say this. I mean, if we're talking about pure upside, then athleticism takes some of these other guys much higher... I, I'm... That might be even a little hyperbole, I think. But I guess I'm sprinkling in just a little bit of real a realism here, banking on what I already know about Jason Tatum. I think he can improve at the same time. I think if we're banking on so much of the athleticism on some of these other guys, then you might be setting yourself up for failure a little bit. So that's why I put Jason Tatum over Josh Jackson, who is my fourth best player. So it's not much of a slight to him. For me... Number three, it would be Josh Jackson. A lot of people have him there. I just think Josh Jackson, there are too many red flags with his shooting. He's, he's, he was an okay collegiate. He was actually, I think he shot 38% from three he got, in college. He, he got hot for the last couple months of the season. The thing about Josh. But his free throw shooting, he shot, he didn't 50, shoot 60%. That's unbelievable. He shot like 70% from the foul line. That's a bad number. That doesn't bode well for his mechanics. Um, 
Nick, what do you have as a comp on Jackson? Because I don't like some of the a lot of the comps that I've seen. Um, I've seen people compare him to T Mac. I think that's bad. I saw early comparisons to to Paul George. I don't like that either. I see him more so as a Jimmy Butler type uh, or an Iggy type, where he's more going to get his at the rim and in the mid range than he is from three point range. But he has ability. I think Josh Jackson has underrated ability as a secondary playmaker in an NBA offense. I think that's where he could really be good. I I liken him to Jimmy Butler quite a bit. I like that comp because my comp would be Chris Middleton minus the shooting, minus three point shooting. I think he's he's a superior athlete to Middleton. That's what that's what makes him so electric. Is the one thing we all can agree on is that Josh Jackson is going to dunk on people. That's in the NBA. yeah. That's he's going to no, dunk no on doubt. NBA athletes. Like he's, I mean, this guy can is a high flyer. And he's just 20 years old, 6'8", 6'10", wingspan. He's a, he's a tremendous athlete. I mean, this is a draft class filled with tremendous athletes. But he even stands out amongst them at his size and his ability to play stretch four straight away. I have faith in his ability to play the four in the NBA more than I have faith in Tatum's ability to play the four because of the discrepancy in physical strength and verticality. Which is why I think that if Jackson never develops a feel for the game and his jump shot never develops, the worst thing he could be is a head-at-the-rim version of Justice Winslow. Yeah, that's a good point. And How about, so, what, what, do, what do you say is compared to somebody, this is more potential-based. He's younger, a little leaner, Jonathan Isaac out of Florida State. I have him, th- I have him at three. You have him at three. I have him at four. Uh, um, Jonathan, who do you have at four? At four, I had Josh Jackson. That's what I was saying. So to me, it's you know not a big difference between three and four to me. I like both of those players a lot. I, for talking Jonathan Isaac, um, like him a lot too. Also like my boy De'Aaron Fox. So I've got him at five, and then Jonathan Isaac at six. Okay, I've got. I have Isaac at four. Uh, Nick, you said you had him at three. Josh Jackson's my four. Um, I like the quote about him that I saw earlier. A non-traditional superstar. This sort of super elite role player. And non-traditional superstar in the sense that he's not a primary or even... Like, he's not a primary or even secondary superstar. Like he's, a Draymond Green. He's an off-the-ball superstar. In a way that a Draymond Green is a non-traditional superstar. Yeah, I, I sort of like that. But hes I don't think he's ever really going to be a playmaker. I think it's a huge swing for the fences. Um, for me, a lot of a lot of what this is based on is what he could be. I think he lacks feel for the game, but I mean he can rebound at his position. He can shoot. Is this you're talking about Jonathan? Isaac. I'm talking about Jonathan. Isaac. I mean, this dude can shoot. Yeah, he can shoot. That's the because thing. he was only 35 percent at Florida State in limited. I mean, limited minutes, limited shot attempts, but he shot 78 percent from the line for a seven footer. Nearly 80% for the line. That shows that he's got a good shooting form. He's willing to shoot the triple. I could see him as this elite stretch four, small ball five, shot blocking, rebounding, off the ball, on the wing. I don't know how if he's ever really going to take people off the dribble at an NBA level, but he's got elite athleticism and mobility for his size. This is a seven, I mean, we're talking about a seven footer in the mold of, you know, maybe this year's Thon Maker, but more polished. 
um, in the way that he could switch on the perimeter, really shoot the three, really protect the rim. And he rebounded well on a Florida State team full of, you know, centers and power forwards who rebounded well. I, I think he, you know, I, I like him a lot. Um, as sort of a, that modern NBA starts at the four play stretch five. Agreed. I think that's what makes him so unique is that I, I am valuing these wing talents much, much higher than I'm valuing any of the traditional big men in this draft. Despite it being a draft full of excellent traditional big men, big men yeah. mm-hmm. I'm, that's what I'm valuing. That's why I have him so high at four. Surely you don't have a big man at five. There's no way. I mean, my five, I've got De'Aaron Fox. Same here. As I said, I have De'Aaron Fox. I mean, I you know, we live in Lexington, Kentucky. For anyone that might not be listening, that or that might be listening and not know that, um, that's a quick disclaimer. But uh, at the same time, I feel like I'm a little bit like one of these dumb GMs, honestly, that's getting smitten by his workouts and like you know just his effort that he's shown and stuff. And that's as it comes out of my mouth, it sounds dumber and dumber to be persuaded by effort. But he just has all the makings of an NBA star, at least a foundational person to uh, add to your team and hope to know that you're heading in the right direction. So there's a lot of... I think his game is great. If I was going purely on his game, I might have him one or two spots lower, but uh, I don't know. I think he has a lot of intangibles. What do you think, Nick? You have him high, too. So Yeah, I have him I have him really high. A lot of people say... He's, people were saying this all throughout his, his uh, time at UK... He was going to be the next John Wall. I disagree with that. I like the Mike Conley comparison a little better. Um, the thing is, for me, he would be much higher. I think he's got great defensive potential. Obviously, elite speed. He's not as fast as John Wall. I'm sorry, people. John Wall is the <laughs> fastest player in the league. Um, but his shooting, that that's something that, for me, keeps him out of being the number three spot, to be honest with you. Um, but again, good defense. Great finishing at the rim, great attacking at the rim, and I I think the intangibles that you mentioned too, I think that really helped. I think a lot of teams really like him. Yeah, uh, he's a ferocious competitor. There's no doubt about that, and that matters. That matters because I think if Dennis Smith had demonstrated the competitiveness and had the winning pedigree that De'Aaron Fox did at the collegiate level, like, you know, if you switch them, if you switch teams last season. Dennis Smith is no brainer, the third pick in this draft. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not joking. I'm not joking. I'm not. I mean, I'm not trying to play around. I mean, I legitimately believe that if Dennis Smith showed the character of De'Aaron Fox and had played for that Kentucky team, he's the third pick in this draft, and it's not a question. There is, there are no doubts. But he didn't. That's why he's slipping on big boards despite his talent. And I like De'Aaron Fox. What do you guys liken him to? Is it, Pro comparison, Nick. You said I like the Mike Conley. You said Mike Conley. What do you say? Yeah, Mike Conley is a good one. Um, the most common stuff is the John Wall and Mike Conley mix. Okay, Cal went with Russell Westbrook. I uh, Darren Fox. He calls, doesn't calls dunk on people. Player. He that was I mean, Cal's this, also his biggest. Darren, this is the thing about this Kentucky backcourt. They were super high flying. Darren Fox, ultra high flyer. I really do believe in his athleticism. I think of him as this. Mike Conley, John Wall fusion, like go between. And the way that Darren Fox was a good shooter in high school. He didn't have a ton of attempts at Kentucky. He was never allowed to really get into a rhythm, but we also never saw Devin Booker run pick and roll at Kentucky. And now look at what he's doing in Phoenix playmaking. I think there's something to this whole 
there could be other abilities unlocked from these Kentucky players that are on star-loaded teams. I do believe, given the license to shoot more, that De'Aaron will show his shooting proficiency. Like I said, he was he was a remarkably good shooter in high school. Um, he shot 74% from the line, which I do, which I believe bodes well for his shooting mechanics in the future. Mm-hmm. He's got nice mechanics. He does have nice. Mechanics. But talking about a nice shooter, I've got Fox six, um, but I have his backcourt partner. Malik Monk rated as the fifth best prospect in this draft class. This is a man who... How many prospects can you say this about? In, I could legitimately see Malik Monk getting hot enough to win the NBA three-point contest, but also winning the NBA dunk contest. I don't know how many dunk contest, three-point contest guys exist in this league. I just be- I just believe in his talents. I was in the building when he scored 30 against Florida to win the SEC East. In the se- he scored 30 points in the second half after he was cold as ice in the first half. I watched him when he put up 47 on UNC. And to me, he is he's one of the most exciting talents in this draft. He was made to light up the garden. I don't know if he gets past eight, but he was made to light up Madison Square Garden. By himself, without Kristaps. Yeah, without anybody. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. it doesn't, I mean, what do you guys think of Monk? Where do you have Monk? I know we're trying to go through our draft. I just, I have him at five. I've I got pre- him at six. I'm presuming some people might have him lower. I believe that we might see some playmaking ability, some, you know, some ability to play in the pick and roll in the NBA. I would, I liked him as a fit for Philly until they traded up. For me, I think I would have him ahead of Fox at five, but right now I've got him at six. I'm, I, I just don't know how much offense you can run through him. I don't know how much he can initiate that. Some guys believe that he, you can run an offense through him. Some guys think he's going to go to Orlando and might be just what, author, what yeah, he's doing the there a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Kean, I mean, you, you said it perfectly. Like he, he might get, that might be something he legitimately does is go into both three point contest and a dunk contest. Uh, I mean, he, he is, Elite in those two areas that it, those areas are really hard to come by. Yeah, I mean, he's an even better shooting, I'm sure taller Zach Levine in a way. I mean, it's, I mean, that's the only guy that even came to my mind that could possibly do that. And Zach Levine isn't nearly as good of a shooter, good of a shooter as Malik exactly. Monk is. But so this is a guy who I, I'm ready to, you know, regret in, uh, in hindsight because I have him at number seven, but this is someone who's hot, who's, uh, excuse me, their upside. Far exceeds where their current place is, but to me, this is the Devin Booker guy who has like so much to unlock once he gets out of the Kentucky system. And uh, I mean, you've sort of mentioned that before, and I would agree with you there because would, um, you, would your jaw hit the floor if he went third overall to Boston? No. Oh uh, yeah, it would. I mean, like I think it's a good move for them, but just for the fact that it would actually happen, it it would shock me. I think I I really would be that shocked. Um, I mean, he has a poor wingspan to height ratio. I guess that's one thing that you could knock on him. I think the worst he could end up as, the worst thing that he could be is Lou Williams. Because I think he's as good as Lou Williams is at the moment. I mean, he doesn't quite have the pick and roll game that Lou Williams does. He was a proficient regular season pick and roll scorer. Um, but the worst thing that Malik Monk ends up as is this... Ultra bench microwave 
volume shooter and scorer. A better Jamal Crawford. If he doesn't have, if he doesn't develop feel for the game, and he doesn't have Jamal's handles yet, but his shooting ability is pure. I mean, if we're just talking about shooters in the draft, just pure three-point shooting, I think it's Kennard, Hardiston, and then I'm going to rate Monk as the next guy. I mean, this guy can fill it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm all about it. I mean, I think he's right up there. Like I said, I'm right there with you. Another yeah. another guy you can shoot, probably more off the dribble, and I think we all have him. Do we all have him number eight? Because I've got him eight. Is Dennis Smith from UNC? Do you I, have eight? I have him nine. You got him nine, Nick. Uh, you let me see. Because I think this is this was the last consensus. Yeah, I do. This is the last consensus. You know, three through eight guy was Dennis Smith. Um, I I liken him to a. A Stefan Marbury in his prime, you know, Steve Francis. I think at his, at the highest of heights, Damian Lillard. A go-to, high-volume, uber-athletic scoring guard. And this is a guy, whoever, whoever drafts him, you're committing to a spread pick and roll and you're gonna give him the keys. And I don't know, it just sort of, to me, it feels like his destiny is to just get 25 points a game on a bunch of you know, 34 and 58 teams for the next five years and and then go from there. What do you guys think of Dennis Smith? John, where do you have him specifically? Uh, Nine, like I said. So only one spot behind you all. We're similar there again. You said um, you had him at number eight, I suppose? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I got him at eight. Okay. Yeah, so uh, yeah, right there with you on a lot of the points that you made. I think that he's... Just an absolute freak athlete. I think he's incredible in that aspect. And, uh, yeah, like you said earlier, it's one of these guys that if he had been in a better situation and had done a few more things himself to let himself shine a little bit, had the intangibles of a guy like De'Aaron Fox, he'd probably be a lot farther up this list as high as he is right now at um, eight or nine. So I think he's a great uh, prospect. What do you I think? agree. I, for me, he's kind of like if... Eric Bledsoe could shoot. That's that's what that's what yeah. I compare him as. And uh, Eric Bledsoe, he's gonna have a, a great career in the NBA. So I mean, if he if he gets close to that, he's gonna be a good NBA player. Who do you guys have next? I had. I'll just go back one back one step to eight. I had. And I don't even know how to say this guy's name fully, but I had Frank Antilinka Natilakina. Natilakina. Frankie is just a boss. And I, I'm going against what I've said so much in this podcast already because I've really been preaching, oh, upside is great, but I want to be a little bit more realistic about it. His upside just really kind of like took me by, you know, it just grabbed my heart and I ran with it because it was really interesting. This guy is just, you know, what do we got here? You have uh, his, his height, he's 6'5, 170, has. Uh, about a 6'10 wingspan. Yeah. Um, he shot 41% from three in the French Pro League, but that was on a very limited number of attempts. Um, he didn't shoot phenomenally from the line. I like Frankie Nicotine like you do. I see, I see this, like I said, I see this, this draft class in several distinct groups. I see the top two guys. I see three through eight as a complete mosh pit. And every pick in there I view almost essentially is the same. Any of those guys could be, I mean, literally, one through eight in another five years could be the best guy from this draft class. 
I truly, truly, truly believe that. If Dennis Smith is the best player from this draft class in the NBA in five years, I'm not shocked by it. But then there's this immediate group underneath, and for me it's Natilakina, like Jonathan has it eight, and then and then Markinen. I I'd see Natilakina, I mean, he seems like a good fit for New York if they're really committed to triangle offense. He's a tremendous on ball defender, he's got good length. He didn't come over until very late in the draft process. He's just now working out for teams in the last 48 hours because he was with Strasbourg in the French playoffs. Um, but I like Natsilakina. I like his upside. He shot the ball well, but he didn't shoot foul shot. He shot the ball from three well, but his foul shooting wasn't spectacular. So there are questions about his form. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as a sort of jumbo size, three and D point guard, Patrick Beverly type, maybe, Sort of a George Hill type going forward. I think that's he. George Hill is my my comparison. A bit bigger, a bit longer. Yeah, not bigger maybe, but least. definitely. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no. Uh, yeah, I was just gonna say George Hill is where I have him. I, I, I mean, to me, this is about where in the draft where I'm like, eh, are these guys? Most of these guys in the draft, they'll just be okay. I mean, they could be good. But the probability is, is so low. I think this guy, I mean, could be fine defensively. I don't know that his three point shot will translate and like that free throw. That, that's his one issue, skill so. that I, that's his one skill that I do believe translates well is his, his all ball defenses yeah. immediately. And I think it's pretty safe to bet that um, he's not going to get past nine. Dallas hired Strasbourg's mm-hmm. coach to coach their summer league. They've met with Natilakina's reps. They've worked him out first when he arrived in the States. So I think the writing is on the wall. You know, Natilakina does not get past Dallas if he's there. Yeah. He's a good fit for the Knicks. I like the fit Natilakina with New York and then, uh, Dennis Smith with Dallas because Rick Carlisle runs more pick and roll. Yep. Um, I think that's a better fit for both teams, but I do believe that, uh, Natilakina will be a good player. And then, so uh, 10, it, uh, we've yet to really reach a, we've reached a consensus on one pick so far. For me, uh, Larry Markinen is the 10th best prospect and he's the end of the legitimate all-star be, potential, yeah. uh, perennial all-star potential players. Yeah, I have Larry Markinen from Arizona. Yeah, that might be the one that we all hit on. I don't know about you, Nick, but that's what I've got at number 10. He, he is my number 10 too. Yeah, yeah I mean, for me, uh, I compare Markkinen to, um, without continued development of his feel for the game and, and playmaking, I look at him a lot like a Ryan Anderson. Um, if he continues to bulk up, maybe Mehmet Okur. I've heard Channing Fry comparisons. I think he does more than that off the bounce and on the glass. Um, and then, like every tall white European, I've heard Kristaps and Dirk comparisons. He doesn't have that sort of development from the post. He, Markinen is odd to me because he is only a theoretical mismatch. He's a seven footer, but he's really a wing. And, um, the mismatch is created when you can play inside out. Cause right now, any team that's, that's, going to play a team that features Markkanen, well, you just put your other wing on him, and what, what is he going to do? He's, he's not going to back down someone smaller than him. Now, he can shoot over the top, and he plays almost exclusively on the wing, which which is why I bring the Ryan Anderson call. Um, but 
Uh, and until he refines his back to the basket game, or until he becomes really devastating off the bounce, I I find it hard to call him a mismatch because he lacks so much on the defensive end. Yeah, that's that's what I, I I agree. I don't think he's it's it's weird because he's seven feet tall, but he's really not going to create any mismatches for you. I mean, obviously you have to close out on him. It'll be more difficult to do that because of his length. What do you think, Jonathan? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you guys. He just needs to take advantage of his body and his length a little bit more. He needs to learn to do that because clearly at Arizona he hasn't really been, um, you know, taking those skills um, to the height of their the advantage they present to him. Um, yeah, it's like at at least at the very least he'll be a good scorer probably. But you know, at number ten you hope to get a little bit more than that. So he's got some stuff to work on, but I think still he's worthy of being in the you know sort of that last spot of our kind of top tier talent. Yeah, then the draft gets gets really wild from here. Uh, I I guess we'll run through the rest of uh, our big board together in unison here. So Nick, why don't you break this down for us? Who's at who do we have at eleven? We got o- <laughs> the OG OG Anunobi. Is that how you said Anunobi? OG Anunobi. Yes. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, or do we? Oh, I thought we were gonna do it. Like, do you want? What do you want to talk about? Well, I'm just, with OG, I mean, I think he's in that next group of lottery talent. Um, oh, sort of right alongside Zach Collins, sat out the year with a knee injury. Um, he's hard to get an NBA comp for me on because at 6'8", with a 7'2 wingspan, Draymond comes to mind, but he does, he has not shown the playmaking penchant or even the shooting ability of a Draymond. This is for me, all about upside. He's raw. We don't know him. He's not even 20 yet. Even though he's played two years in Indiana, he sat out with the knee injury. He's such a freak athlete. He's such a physical specimen. And I think he can, I think he can guard one through five. And that's so valuable in this league. I mean, yeah. truly one through five as he bulks up. And I think for a team like Denver at 13, this is the perfect fit next to the Joker. Stash him as he's still recovering off his knee. Yeah, because they got so many guys. Yeah, yeah. I like I, I like Ananobi a lot. I think he's the model for the small ball five. I think he's a model for the small ball five. Uh, much the way that because he represents similar physical tools to Draymond, although not not the same skill set. He's such a raw palette. I love it. I, I love him so much. Yeah, I think if he gets... This is one of those cases where if he gets to the right situation and he goes to a team that can really harness his potential, you know, he could be really good. But for me, again, I, I, this is... I'm in the part of the draft where I'm just... I just am so skeptical. Everybody is doubtful for me. Like, mm. I, I don't know how well he's going to pan out. I mean, we're talking about he could be Draymond, but like we're saying, like, Draymond, unbelievable passer... He's a pretty well, decent shooter. shooter yeah. I would say, like, pretty close to great. Yeah, because Ananobi on on minimal attempts shot 31% in college. He only shot 56% from the line. So he hasn't shown, you know, a great shooting touch. Comparisons range from Riza to Battier to Alfaruk Aminu if he doesn't develop a shot. And if he doesn't develop a shot, then, then you're really wondering... What does he do for you? You know, he doesn't play make like Justice Winslow. He's not really a ball handler. It's such, he's such a canvas, um, that I think it makes him enticing. 
just because of his upside in age. Yeah, agreed. All right, number 12, we've got man out of Gonzaga, Zach Collins. People were talking about this late in the tournament, this guy, Zach Collins. What do you guys think? Uh, Zach Collins on a team I did not watch that much in college, but I'll tell you what, I mean, he's uh, impressive. I uh, I don't know. I mean, I he's one of these guys that's very solid and doesn't have as much upside as guys like an OG and an OB, so I'd, I'm not as excited by him, but, you know, he still has a place in the high teens. What about you, Cam? It's... Zach Collins is one of those guys that's so odd to me, and and many a guy in the one and done system uh, has ended up like this. Uh, particularly Scala BCA is immediately the guy that I think of from last year. This is a guy who's got you know two way potential, protected the rim well while he was on the floor. You know, one point eight blocks a game. He had f- he averaged four point one blocks per forty minutes at Gonzaga, but he never got that many minutes. He's got, you know, 10 points a game, 6 boards a game, and half an assist, but he's, per 40, he's got 23 points a game and 13 boards. It's such a small sample size, but he shot 47% from beyond the arc. He shot 74% at the line. But again, it's all sample size. So, theoretically, he's this, you know, decent athlete, you know, a fluid athlete who showed rim, who flashed rim protecting ability and three point range. But then again, it's so theoretical. Uh, it would almost be the perfect pick for Charlotte to take him at 11, just because, you know, they need another American white big man. Um, but I do think that he presents perhaps the best upside at that point for Charlotte. Uh, he does shoot, he does have a good shooting touch. He is fluid. He can protect the rim, but he can also get above the rim and pick and roll. But it was all such a small sample size. And he reminds me a lot of Scal. Comparisons are all over the board. I liken him to a, you know, maybe a sl- a more slender Serge Ibaka. I think that's really his pro comp. Before Serge's, you know, ankle injury and his shoulder issue, the athleticism that Serge displayed getting above the rim on pick and roll finishes, but also spacing the floor and then protecting the rim on defense. I think that's something that you could liken Zach Collins to. That sort of high end role player candidate. That's that's where I think his potential goes. Yeah. Next up, we've got Donovan Mitchell. Uh, can play both point guard and shooting guard. Um, you know, another solid player. Work. like I think you made a really good point uh, just a moment ago with Zach Collins. We're sort of in the get a good role player era of the draft, I think. And uh, I think Donovan Mitchell is at least that. Probably one of the guys in a mid-tier of the draft who could become even better than that, probably. But what are you thinking? Uh, I liken this game a lot to Norman Powell and Avery Bradley. Um, similar size, huge athleticism like both of them. Um, decent but inconsistent three-point shooter at Louisville. You know, just this is where it gets really hard for me because this was not a National Player of the Year candidate. This was not someone who was leading that Louisville team to a ton of success. Yet he flashed enormous athleticism. Uh, he really guarded Malik Monk well in that Louisville game, and he played De'Aaron Fox well in the stretches that he was on him. I mean, this this is a guy who plays real grown man defense right now, and he has huge athletic upside. So if the shot becomes more consistent, he can play some two, but at 6'3", you probably want him guarding once. 
This is another one of these new age point guards where everybody is looking to build a multi-ball handler offense with a non-traditional point. You want that oversized point who can handle, who can play off ball and shoot. And Donovan Mitchell fits well in there. And the Knicks just had him in for a workout. I mean, if he goes at eight, it'll be an enormous surprise, especially if someone like a Malik Monk is on the board. But you could see him sort of having that range of upside, maybe. Like, I mean, you could understand where they're coming from. Not maybe not Malik. Potentially, because if Phil is truly committed to the triangle, Dennis Smith does not work. That doesn't work at all in the triangle. Yeah. And so, Donovan Mitchell, as a triangle fit, would be the next best guy if Natilakina is already gone before it gets to New York. So, if they passed on Monk, I believe it would be a huge mistake. But if they're desperate for a point guard and Mitchell is there, then yeah, I could see why New York might take him. Now, Phil Jackson, you know, might have to get a charter fly down to town. But I could see it, yeah. I like Donovan Mitchell quite a bit, actually. I think you're right. He guarded Malik Monk really well in that Louisville game. Um, I think he's, his defense is really going to set him apart. And if he you know, improves on the offensive end, I think he could be a real steal for a team yeah. later in the draft. Um, and then at number four, we've got a guy named Justin Patton. Yeah, number 14, uh, prospect. Or, yeah, 14. Yeah, prospect out of Creighton. Justin Patton. This is where, you know, in our big board, we're really looking to value upside. Um, Patton displayed huge, enormous athleticism and a soft shooting touch um, before his injury. He did not shoot the foul shots well at about 52%, but in limited attempts, he shot 53% from the three-point line. So he flashed pick-and-pop ability while being a premier pick-and-roll athlete who showed some shot-blocking instincts but would need to improve on that level. There's a huge variance for all of these bigs. I mean, I think there's this group of bigs, Patton, Harry Giles, Jonah Bolden, Jared Allen, John Collins, Pashankis, the Lithuanian guy, Hardiston, the German guy, Bam at a bio, Jordan Bell, Iconic Bogu, Tony Bradley. I mean, it goes on and on and on with all of these bigs who are projected mid-first round. Some of them at the slip and some of them at the rise to the top. And I think at 14, if you're drafting, if I'm at 14 and I'm drafting and I'm looking at the available talent, I just think, damn, you know, Justin Patton has such tremendous upside with his athleticism. I mean, Jonathan, I know, you know, I mean, you're a guy who likes mobile bigs in the way that I like mobile bigs. I know you're a big fan of Embiid and Porzingis. I mean, what do you think Patton could bring to the team? Um, well, I think I like to pump the brakes a little bit whenever I start thinking about guys like Embiid and, you know, some of these really sort of, you know, it's become cliche, but these uh, unicorn bigs. But that's what you hope for when you get a guy like this. And this is kind of the perfect spot in the draft to go for a guy like that. You know, you think back a couple of years ago, and this isn't a, a comparison of the playmaking skills, but Giannis, 15, a couple of years ago, you're going for playmaking and just sort of an upside at this point. Because no one's a sure thing. And if you're at that point in the draft, then why not go for Justin Patton? Yeah. I think, I think that there's just a real, there's been a real change in thought for all of us as we look at the draft prospect. If you are a big, you've got to be able to move well. The fluid, the fluid big, the face up big, 
that's become the mold. And the wings are so valuable as well. And I think Justin Patton represents everything that you want in a modern NBA big. If what he's shown, what he's flashed at the three-point range is real. Remains consistent. Yeah. I think, I agree. In talking about the bigs in this draft, I think because, for me, the point guard position, I just talked about how Donovan Mitchell out of Louisville, he could end up being a steal for a team. I think you might see a lot of these point guards fall and teams take the big men. In the hopes of, you know, getting a, a good point guard later in the draft. But next up, number 15, Terrence Ferguson. Didn't he play? He played in the NBL. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. This is, uh, he committed to SNU originally. Uh, I believe academic issues led to, um, him deciding to go overseas. This is an interesting guy for me because as I fought through our big board rankings, he just, every time I get to him, I just think, Man, how good would he be on the Bucks? I, I, you know, I'm sort of, I'm sort of biased. <laughs> You're in that. Bucks Homer. I am a Bucks Homer that way, but I think this is a guy who's is an elite, elite, elite athlete, a crazy head at the rim leaper who showed, you know, streaky three point shooting while he was playing in the Australian Pro League. There are people who have him. Rated all the way up as high as 15. There are people who haven't rated all the way down high, down as low as 40. But he's 6'7", head at the rim athleticism. He's the youngest player eligible to be drafted. He's got a 6'10 wingspan. And this is a guy who has enormous potential. Um, the shooting stroke was inconsistent in Australia. But like I said, really streaky three-point shooter. Um, I sort of compare him to... Tony Snell with leaping ability. If you can imagine that type of way. That's what I liken him to. Because Snell is such a streaky three-point shooter, but this guy is a good on-ball defender in the way that Snell is. I think he could be drafting Stash. I think you could draft him and bring him straight over on one of those two-way G League deals and allow him to develop. And I just love his upside so much because this guy, if he is a consistent three-point shooter, there are very few three-point shooters. They have also have enormous athleticism and defensive ability like this. Um, if his three-point shot becomes consistent the way I think it could, I could see him as a 6'7", Patrick Beverly with a 6'10 wingspan, or a head-at-the-rim athletic version of a Brogdon or a Della Vadova. That sort of tenacity on defense, combined with a three-point shooting, can allow him to play off the ball and switch on to multiple positions in an NBA offense, which I think is imperative. I like the Delavadova comp, the longer Delavadova comp, but for me, I just don't think, I just don't think that this guy, I mean, he, he needs more time to develop. It, it, we'll see when we see it, but I just don't anticipate his three point shot translating, uh, anytime soon. Alright, so we pretty much, we just did 15, 1 through 15. These are the guys that we think, you know, will be in the lottery. Uh, let's just run through the, the rest of them real quick. 16, we got Harry Giles. Harry Giles. Uh, yeah, 6'11", forward out of Duke, 7'3", wingspan. Um, there have been a lot of murmurs about how good he's looked in workouts. Injuries have obviously robbed him of his elite standing, but this was the guy who was the number one prospect coming out of high school. Uh, and I think as a mid to late round flyer, Harry Giles presents a ton, a ton, a ton of upside. This is a guy that if you're Brooklyn and you've got a late first round pick, this is this is the type of guy you've got to swing on. Because if he gets his athleticism back, 
then I mean the I think the Amari Stoudemire comp compromise uh, comparisons are appropriate. People were talking about him looking like a young Sea Web out of high school. So if if his athleticism is truly back, then I think he is well deserving of that standing. I think seventeen. We got Justin Jackson. I like Justin Jackson from UNC. He developed a three point shot a little later. He's long. Uh, he he was really a leader on that UNC team down the stretch. I think he's a I think he's a good player. Yeah, at this point in the draft, it's safe to take guys who stay in the school a long time, showed flashes of good skills. You're not getting all stars necessarily at this point, so I like Justin Jackson too. I don't want to get him getting him here as probably getting a good player. I I liken him to a little bit of uh, sort of like a maybe a Matt Barnes, uh, but more three point shooting ability. I think he could be a decent role player, maybe potentially like a Kelly Oubre. With a more solid three point shot, uh, if that shooting flurry this year was was for real, Jonah Bolden at nineteen or excuse me eighteen. Yeah, this is a guy that again, when you know we're preaching potential a lot here, but Jonah Bolden is a guy with enormous potential, enormous upside. He had a troubled year at UCLA. He went overseas to play in Australia. <laughs> Sorry, he showcased ability off the bounce and from three-point range. At 6'10", with his athleticism, this is another multi-positional, you know, small ball, five, traditional power forward type of player with enormous upside. Jared Allen at 19. Yeah, uh, the big man out of Texas, he's got freakish measurables. He's about 6'11". He's got a 7'4", 7'5", wingspan. Um... Above the rim player, I think immediately will look a lot like a JaVel McGee with his rim running ability, but he's got a lot to learn on the defensive end to become that type of shot blocker that NBA teams covet at the center. If you're going to be a rim runner, you've also got to be a shot blocker. And Jared Allen has a long way to go in that department, but the measurables are incredible. 20, John Collins. A lot of J's. Yeah, John Collins, uh, big from Wake Forest, flashed ability from outside, also flashed a lot of athleticism, but then again, wasn't incredibly productive at the college level. And, you know, at this point in the draft, these are all guys that you could make tremendous pro comparisons to, but at the same time, they could be out of the league in three years. And that's what makes the NBA draft so topsy-turvy. But I do believe that if you have faith in John Collins' upside with his jump shot, this is a, this is a guy that you're willing to take in this range. What do you think about Luke Kennard, our 21st pick? Uh, guy out of Duke, his great three point shooting ability. I mean, one of the better three point shooters probably in the draft. Although that's like not. I would say he's he's probably right there with Markinen as the most pure three point shooter in the class. Yeah, and you know there are some other things that kind of take him back, and that's why he's late <coughs> in the draft this way, but. That's a that is a skill that'll get you somewhere in the NBA today. So that'll get you in the first round when you're in that I, sort of elite talent. I've seen him as high as Charlotte. I mean, do you buy that at all, Jonathan? Uh, not necessarily that high, but you know, at this point, like we're saying, I I don't know, not that high. That's the short answer. Just at Charlotte, that is probably too much for Luke Kennard, but. Charlotte can take all the white guys they want to. <laughs> exactly. I had him, I just, I demoted him down to this level at, at 21 or, yeah, 21, 22 overall here on my big board because labeled as a combo guard coming out doesn't really 
uh, play the two that proficiently, which I think will be his NBA position. I don't see him ever handling the ball in the NBA. I see him running off screens. I liken his game to Korver and Redick, and I do believe that he is that pure of a three-point stroke, and he'll be a valuable role player. Help me out with this guy's name, Kian. I'm sure you know. Oh, him. my man, yes. Anzej Pasheknik's from Latvia, seven foot three, and just tremendous mobility for a seven foot three guy. He's not even twenty years old yet, playing out of the Latvian Pro League. Um, would have been a late round flyer last year, drafting stash guys, stayed around, entered his name this year. I just think at seven foot three has shown some shooting flashes. Um but the mobility at seven three is incredible. I mean, he—I mean, he really lacks defensive instincts, and he's not a good rebounder at this stage. I don't know if he's drafted and come over straight away. I don't know if he's drafted and stash. But if you're just taking flyers at this point, any guy who's this big who moves like this—I mean, he's—he doesn't move like Porzingis because that guy's the fourth overall pick in the draft. If he moved and shot like Porzingis, he would be that high too. But he's a really mobile seven foot three guy who has a, who is a late bloomer, which is what I like from big guys. I don't like guys that have been big forever. They break down. I like guys like this. Isaiah Hartenstein at Michael Jordan. A, another European big man, super raw, super underdeveloped at, you know, but he plays like a wing at seven feet tall. Has showcased some has showcased some real ball handling credentials in the Euro League at six eleven at nineteen years old. That's impressive. But this guy to me is totally drafted and stashed. He's wait for two years. He's so raw. But again, anytime a guy is nineteen years old, seven feet tall, and he can shoot it a little bit and put the ball on the floor and go by people at the professional level, that's something that impresses you. Yeah, I think both he and Pasek. Pischeknicks, I think they're tra- or draft and stash for sure. Uh, Derek White, Walter's nephew. Yeah, um, junior college, tra- uh, Division II transfer to Colorado this season. Very mature player, a lot of veteran savvy, uh, big point guard at 6'4". I think that's what he'll play in the NBA. Showed, demonstrated some great decision-making out of the pick-and-roll. And this is a guy... You know, and we talked about the depth of this draft class in the lottery, but it really extends this 20 to 40 range. I mean, everyone is interchangeable. I'm never going to fault it. If the guy that I have ranked at 40, if he went 20, I don't know if I'm going to fault a team for it. But Derek White belongs in this range because I think if you're a team like the Wizards, right, who have the 27th pick, or did they, or did they lose their first round pick? I don't, I think they have a first round pick in Washington via Drake. Like if they drafted it, if they drafted a Derek White, I'd be happy for them because this is a guy who I believe from day one could be a decent NBA backup point guard. I think that might be his destiny. What What are your thoughts, anyone, on DJ Wilson, our number 24? Well, I've heard a lot about DJ Wilson from Mr. Keen McAmey, but I don't know that much about him. So I actually, you know, where's this guy coming from? Like, tell me about this guy. Oh, uh, yeah. He's the uh, sophomore... Power forward out of Michigan, uh, but I think he perfectly fits the mold of the modern NBA four. His game is completely outside the end. Uh, he shot 37% from downtown as a sophomore, but 83% from the line. So, I mean, 
I think this guy is a legitimate shooter. He's 6'11", a 7'3 wingspan. He's just 21. He is a... He's not the type of incredible leaping athlete that Ananobi was or that Giles was before the injury. I mean, he's not that sort of above-the-rim athlete, but he is a good athlete. He's an NBA athlete. He's a fluid mover. He reminds me a lot of Lamar Odom. I think that is a good comp. Perhaps maybe Tayshaun Prince. Um, even maybe a, a little Jeremy Grant, you know, if he doesn't really develop a tremendous feel for the game. But, I mean, he can shoot threes, and he's 6'11". This is a legitimate NBA Modern power forward, minimal back to the basket skills, minimal playmaking skills. I don't want him dribbling. If he dribbles three times, it's an accident. <laughs> but, but this is—he's a solid NBA role player in the future. I would be ecstatic if the Bucks drafted a guy like DJ Wilson at their spot. Number twenty-six, Devin Robinson from Florida. Jonathan, were you in the building from Elite Monks game against Florida? Uh, to seal the SEC title? Uh, to seal the SEC title? No, I wasn't in the building. Were you in the building? I was in the building, and I remember in the first half when Derek, when, sorry, when Devin Robinson went eyeball to rim on a dunk Ooh, to put well, Florida, I, I remember that to, highlight. To, yeah. put, to put Florida up by 10, and that's when I was like, you know what? I've seen him play a couple times. Like, this dude looks like he belongs in the NBA. He's already 21. He spent three years in Florida. He hasn't shown a tremendous amount of progression, but this is a head-at-the-rim athlete with an emerging three-point shot who can play defense. He is the type of athlete the NBA covets right now. 6'8", 7'2", wingspan. Will be interchangeable on defense. Rangy, with a, like I said, with an emerging three-point shot. He fits right in with the mold of these wings. And note some of the names we've not mentioned yet. I mean, this is, we're talking about Devin Robinson going before Bam out of bio. I think that just typifies where the NBA is going right now. We've got DJ Wilson and Bam and Devin Robinson above Bam. Bam's coming up, but before we get there, my name's Semi. Semi? Semi-truck. Ojale. Ojale. Yeah, wing out of SMU again. I'm, this dude's body. I mean, he's six seven, six eight. He's got a six ten wingspan, and he's built like a Mack truck. He's, he's built like a semi truck. Yeah, he's <laughs> he, his semi-truck. name is semi. Semi, a semi truck. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's built like a bulldozer, flashing three point shooting ability. Again, so many of these guys are just three and D potential. What would have been cast as tweeners before are now called multi positional and valued more. And I think Semi Ojale is another example of where the league is going. I mean, this dude is chiseled. If he develops feel for the game, because I think his counterpart, Sterling Brown, had a lot more feel for the game at SMU on the other wing, but I would cast him more so as a power forward. Jay Crowder would be his ceiling, and out of the league would be his floor. I think the next guy, you talked about how Devin Robinson went ahead of this guy. Bam Adebayo is our 28. I think he's the opposite of what you were saying. He plays back to the basket like... He never really got away from the basket at Kentucky, and I wanted him to do it. Maybe Cal wasn't letting him because he knew he wasn't capable. Yeah, he might be a prisoner of this Devin Booker sort of thing where, you know, you get forced into a position on the of a role on the team and kind of can't escape it. But um, I, I feel like he's athletic enough and, you know, could get up and down the floor a little bit. 
that being said, I still think, you know, this is a pretty good spot for Bam Adebayo. I think that uh, it's up to him to decide his fate in the league. He has the body for it, but he's going to have to sort of advance his skill set a little bit. Yeah, to be able to make I a, think, a I don't even know how athletic he really is. He can defend multiple positions pretty well. He's He doesn't have great length for his size. He's obviously, you know, he's, he's a physical specimen. But I don't know how above the rim he really is. I don't, I, oh, I'm so, oh, if he goes, I don't, if you're questioning his if, athleticism if, and if, leaping ability, then if he goes are, this high in the draft, he 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 will be lucky. I think this is a decent spot for Bam, and this, and I'll just say this: I think he's a first round talent. He showed some good feel, but th- he is an above the rim athlete. He's hey at the combine, he actually measured a legitimate six ten. That was something I was worried about. I mean, to me, when I watched Kentucky, I mean, the dude, to me, looked like about, like, six, eight and a half. He measured a real 6'10 at the combine with a 7'3 wingspan. He brings rim running from day one. The problem is, I don't know how much else he brings. I like him. He doesn't bring anything. I, I, like, so what is he? Is he Montrez Harrell? Yeah. And That's not bad at this point in the draft. That's not bad at this point in the draft, but at the same time... He was looking to be so much more. He doesn't protect the rim that well. That's his real fault. If he was an elite rim protector, he'd be in the Jarrett Allen class. He'd be in the Justin Patton class even. Because he had, he could contribute to the NBA from day one because of his physical tools. However, I think the feel for the game is holding him back. 29, our 29 draft spot goes to TJ Leaf. I, I mean... You were asking earlier if I was in the building for a Florida game. When I was in the building at Rupp Arena for a UCLA game back in, uh, I guess it was back in December when they played um, during the regular season, I was just, uh, I mean, of course you're kind of astounded by Lonzo's playmaking ability and setting guys up, but TJ Leaf is one of these guys that can really like kind of stroke, a, you know, stroke shots during the game. And someone that's like, you know, Fits the mold of an NBA big right now who can like actually shoot the ball and sort of get up and down the floor a little bit. And he's not a lead at it necessarily getting up and down, but you know, at this point in the draft, I just think like you take some shooting, you're just like really picking anything at I, this point. Like, I mean, it could, suits what you're fancy, I guess. I, could he be Steve Novak? How Perhaps. tall is he? 6'10. He's 6'10. He's a legitimate 6'10. I, I love, my comp would be Steve Novak. If he makes it, yeah, he could be a guy who comes off the bench and, and shoots, shoots threes really well yeah. and doesn't play a lot of defense. But he could be that guy. I mean, could he be Ryan Anderson? I don't know if he's that kind of shooter, but yeah, this he's useful in the same manner that you know Luke Kennard is useful. Mm-hmm. However, his three point shot is not as pure. But I think that's all of his upside is how well he shoots it. Yeah, thirty is Jordan Bell. Yeah, I'm higher on Bell than. A lot of guys, because I've got lottery bigs, you know, below him in my big boards. Uh, I just think Jordan Bell, his switchability at about six eight six nine, is so important in the league right now. Could he be Tristan Thompson? Does he have the character, makeup, and the fight and the grit that that Tristan Thompson plays with? I don't know, but he would be in that type of mold, undersized energy big. He's not above the rim like Kenneth Reed was. He reminds me a lot of a Darrell Arthur. Um, 31, Enigbogu. Is it Ike or Ike? It's Ike Enigbogu, and this is a guy who played at UCLA, didn't play a, a, you know, a heavy minutes load, 
Some people are way up on him, have him in the lottery above, you know, Patton. Some people have him in the 40s. He's got freak measurables. He's 6'10", 7'6", wingspan. Another guy who people are likening to a Thompson, maybe even a Clint Capella, a rim-running, floor-running, rim-protecting guy. But to me, he's a theoretical player. He's a he's purely a theoretical player. He didn't play enough. He didn't show any feel for the game. And despite all the physical tools, he didn't, you know, really dominate Bam in the way that you think a guy rated in the lottery above Bam would have dominated him in a one-on-one matchup. He's a similar profile, but doesn't show the same feel as Bam. He has no footwork. He has no back-to-the-basket game. So really what you're relying on his exceptional rim-running abilities. And he's just a theoretical player. He's this guy who looks great on paper, but I don't actually see it ever on a basketball court. Next up is Juwan Evans at 32. Yeah, this is the opposite of Enigbogu. He's lightning quick, good first step. I mean, by the time he takes a second dribble, he's at full speed. This is a guy who could be a backup point guard in the league for a very long time. High pace, pick and roll, score first point guard. I like, I like Jawan Evans as a, as a late round pick. I, he's better than Gary Payton the second. He's better than Aaron Brooks was as a prospect. I think he could, Gary Payton, the second, not Gary Yeah, Payton. I was going to, I was about to <laughs> punch my computer monitor in. Half. Yeah, but he's better than those guys. Um, 33 is Tony Bradley. Yeah, similar to Andy Bogu, a real theoretical player, long-rangey guy from UNC. I mean, Jonathan, you watched the national title game. It was really more about Kennedy Meeks, but what did you see from Bradley in those stints? I mean, that above-the-rim game you had to like. Yeah, I like that. I mean, just him getting up and down the floor and uh, showing that sort of skill is kind of something that's sort of invaluable. That's not something you can really teach, that sort of athleticism. So that alone is worth, you know, paying attention to him at this point in the in the draft, I think, you know, that sort of thing is kind of exactly what you're looking for. Yeah. 34, Sterling Brown. Yeah, Ojale's counterpart at SMU. Um, slightly better shooter on the year than Ojale, but not nearly the athlete. I think that's why he slides, uh, you know, nearly 21, already 21 years old, Sterling Brown. Um, I think the SMU wings are getting a lot of looks. I've heard some, some buzz even for Ben Moore, uh, uh, perhaps later in the second round. But I think Sterling Brown at this point is look is worth taking a look at. About six seven, he's going to play two guard or three in the in the league, and you know has some upside as a three and D role player. What about what about Wesley Iwundu at thirty five? You know this is a guy who is only below uh, Sterling Brown just for uh, the purposes of his jump shot. He is a better athlete. He shot about 38% in college. He shot 77% from the line, which is average. But he's 6'7", with a 7'1 wingspan. He's going to play the wing in the league. He's already 23. Um, intangibles would probably be the biggest reason for selecting him. He really led that Kansas State team. Um, played, played more out of the pick and roll than he's going to play in the NBA. And I think that put him in bad spots at Kansas State. Hurt his efficiency numbers. His effective field goal percentage was only 53% from a guy who took a lot of looks at or near the rim. He really sprinkled in the three-point shot. Only took 85 of them in nearly 40 games this season at Kansas State. So uh, I don't know how reliable that 38% number is, how projectable that is to the league. I don't, I don't really buy it. 
But because of his intangibles, because of his athleticism, because of his length, this is someone that, again, you just... I want to take flyers on wing projects in the 25 to 40 range in this draft more than I want to take some more highly regarded big men because they're so much more valuable. I'm drafting wings. If I'm a team, if I'm Portland and I've got three first round picks, I'm taking one big and then I'm taking two more wings. Wings are the hardest thing to come by. Look at the trade market. You can get a guard. You can always get a guard. There's a surplus of guards. Guards become available. You could get Rogier. You could get Smart. Bradley's on the block. Lou Williams is on the block. But how many premium wing talents are on the block? Do you consider number 36, Sandarius Thornwell, a wing? I look at him in the mold of a Malcolm Brogdon, that secondary, that tertiary playmaker. Uh, Co-SEC player of the year, by the way, I mean, with Malik Monk. You, I mean, you watched a lot of Thornwell in the SEC. Yeah. No, he definitely tore up the, uh, the SEC for a while. And... Uh, had a great run and all through the year, really. Do you, do you think he'd be this year's Brogdon? Uh, I mean, no. Pro- I probably wouldn't say that, but it's a good goal for him. It's like not completely out of reach. Like he should hope to be something like that, and it's not totally ridiculous, but it's a little bit outside of uh, the realm should... of possibility. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I feel like that's harsh, but yeah, he should aim to be that. Shoot for the stars, and Darius. At th- <laughs> We're all about confidence boosting here at Transition yeah. 3 Basketball. Uh, 37, 37, Cameron Oliver. Yeah, coming down to the end of the big board here, uh, I've only ranked down to 40, so we'll just run through this quickly. Cameron Oliver, Ford out of Nevada, 6'8", 7'1", wingspan. Um, good athlete, really showed some three-point shooting ability. Uh, in the right situation, I think, I mean, could you imagine a Golden State at 30th overall with Cameron Oliver blocking shots, dunking, and stroking threes, like I could, I could see that. I next think he's year. A pretty much a perfect fit for. Him. Like I could see that, I could see that next year. But he's got no feel for the game. He played with minimal motivation at Colorado, at Nevada. They had no point guard. They really had a cluttered offense. I mean, it looked like five guys in a pickup game trying to get their own. And Cameron Oliver played a lot like that. But his talents are tremendous. He's more talented than Wundu. Or Devin Robinson. But I don't know if he's willing to accept that type of role. I, Nevada just, I mean, pardon my French, he just looked like a shit show. Like, I hated watching that basketball. And I didn't even really watch them until the tournament, and I hated watching it. But he was so clearly the most talented player on the floor when they played. And it's a tantalizing combination of size, athleticism, and three-point shooting. 38, wrapping it up, Jonathan Motley. What do you got on him? Pure energy big. Uh, his ability to switch will be paramount, and it's all about effort. I mean, this is a guy, if he never plays an NBA game, I'm not surprised. If he becomes Pascal Siakam or Kenneth Fareed, you know, I'm also not really surprised. But that's the kind of guy he's got to be. Rebounds, energy. Um, almost like Harrell early in his career, but he's not quite the high flyer Harrell was. What about 39, Matthias Lessort? Sort. Matthias Lasort, 21-year-old French project, 6'9", 250. If, yeah, if Jan, <laughs> if Gershon Yabusele was the French Draymond last year, this guy is the less talented, more obscure French Draymond for this year. <laughs> he's the French Kenneth Fareed. This guy is like, he's a year away from being a year away, but he's a physical freak. 
and he plays with the tenacity. Like, when I watch YouTube clips, half of the clip is of him yelling and beating his chest and, like, getting in people's face. And it's something that I kind of like that fire. And then the other half of the clips are, like, of him doing something dumb but ending up dunking it. So I don't don't know what to think so much, but he's... But 6'9", 250, 7'2", wingspan, that's something that's hard to teach. I mean, he's thick for a 20-year-old. And he can and he can run a bit. So if he brings that sort of manic energy and his athleticism translates, he could work his way onto an NBA roster. Rounding it out, rounding out the big board, number 40 is Dwayne Bacon. I'm going to... I will die on Dwayne Bacon Hill. <laughs> because he's 6'5". He's got a 6'9 wingspan, 6'10 wingspan. Like, this is a guy who I think could guard a couple different positions if engaged, but he's got that microwave scorer mentality. Like, he's got that Lance Stevenson, Dion Waiters mentality. Like, this is a guy who could end up being a great bench microwave who fell in the draft because he makes bad decisions. A la, I mean, he's almost a perfect comparison to Lance Stevenson. Now, Lance Stevenson is a sort of a one-of-a-kind personality, but just on the court, every time I watch him, I think I'm watching Lance. This is a guy who probably personally sunk Jonathan Isaac's draft stock because he was out there to get his. Like, the Lance, the signature Lance Stevenson, call for a pick and roll, go to the wrong side of the screen, spin move with the left hand, dribble it out of bounds. Like, that's Dwayne Bacon's go-to. <laughs> Bread and butter. But at the same time, he'll hit that awkward... 13 and a half foot floater over two guys and get you a butt. Like this, he could be a real bench microwave type of guy like Dion, like Lance, irrational confidence. I like his tools. I like him more than guys I didn't mention, like Caleb Swanigan, who I don't really know if he plays in this league, etc. So I don't, I just think why not take a chance on Dwayne? And, and other than that, I don't really see a guy that jumps, guys that jump out to me as must draft NBA guys. I think in the NBA, you get a lot of this. There are a lot of guys who never make it in this league. And uh, most of the people that we just named won't make it. And we, That's a fact. And we, and we only went, to, and I only went to 40 players. I mean. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, right? I mean, there's like plenty more we could get into, but. Do you have any late sleepers, late flyers, anything, anybody that you like outside of the 40? I'll mentioned? tell you what, I was looking last second today, and there was a guy who, um, so, in the recent years of like the Giannis phenomenon, the sort of guy that a lot of people get sort of enticed by, his name is uh, George Lucas DePaula, and uh, he goes by Giorgino, and I like him just because his name is George Lucas. That's not the only reason, but he, uh, he he's like 6'6 with an over 7-foot wingspan. He's like a really good defensive player. Right now, you can only see grainy footage of him in like France gyms, I'm pretty sure, but uh, we pretty much named all the guys I'm thinking of. I think that this is a good list, and like we said, last 10 or so, we're just hoping for them. We like their potential, but there's no telling with a lot of these guys. Yeah. Well, there you have it, folks. Stay tuned for more basketball updates from your favorite podcast, the Transition 3 Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Thielen, as always. Still here. They're still here. Jonathan Kaufman and Kean McAtee. Yo. Thank you guys for listening. Have a great night. Thank you. Enjoy the draft tomorrow.